Welcome to Automation Chat. I'm your host, Teresa Hauk, Executive Editor of the Journal from Rockwell Automation and our Partner Network magazine. Today, we're joined by Chris Hardawar. He's Vice President of Automation at Rockwell Automation and Compass Product Partner, MapleSoft. The company provides experts in a variety of engineering fields, experience in model-based design, and a multi-domain system modeling tool called MapleSim for developing digital twins. We're going to talk about how to use virtual commissioning and digital twins to improve machine development, how digital twins work, how companies would evaluate if virtual commissioning would be a useful tool for them, examples of applications, and a lot more. But first, it's time for our family-friendly, silly joke of the day. I know you guys always look forward to this, and this is another good one. It's so bad, it's good. Why couldn't the leopard play hide-and-seek? because he was always spotted. Now, if you're listening while you're driving, don't laugh so hard you swerve off the road. Safety first, everyone. All right, now let's talk to Chris Hardawar about virtual commissioning. Hi, Chris, thanks for chatting with me today about virtual commissioning. I know this is a topic of interest to a lot of people. And I have to say, I had a lot of fun recording your 2019 Automation Fair video last year with you and Chad Schmidtke, I think is the way his name is pronounced. Plus, it was a great chance for me to learn more about virtual commissioning and digital twins. I've put a link to that video in this episode's description so our, listen- our listeners can look at it, but it was a lot of fun. Hi, Teresa. Yeah, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun back in 2019. We did the video right there at the booth at Automation Fair, and there was some, some back and forth, and I think there, was, there were a few jokes told, too. So it was, uh, we, we had fun. Yeah, I wish our videographer would have put together a bloopers reel because most of them would have happened at your booth. So that was a good time. <laughs> that was a good time. We'll see how many yeah. bloopers we'll have with this, this audio recording. Yeah, that might be fun too. So we'll get to some questions that can help out some industrial automation industry pros. So we'll dig right in here. So tell me, what is virtual commissioning and how does it relate to digital twins for improving machine development? Well, I guess in its most simple terms, uh, virtual commissioning is the practice of using virtual simulation technology to commission, design, install, or test control code with a virtual machine before you connect it to the real system. And usually commissioning um, happens very late in the process. It's usually one of the last steps in the process to commission a machine or a production line. And oftentimes it's unpredictable. Adding the virtual piece means that you could discover errors and issues and tune your control code in a safe virtual environment before you actually get to the commissioning phase of it. So that's kind of what virtual commissioning is. And and virtual commissioning, you rely on a digital twin in most cases to reproduce the real behavior of what that machine would be like when it is connected to the control code or in its final destination at the manufacturing site. Um, And that's where the digital twin piece comes in. And that really, once you have a digital twin that operates using real physics, laws of physics, it can really tell you some cool and and interesting things about how that machine is going to perform. Okay, and tell me how the process of creating a digital twin works, and does it add time to the design stage? And 
does it need a specialized engineer to create digital twins? <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, quite a mouthful of questions there, and yeah, happy to answer if uh, uh, <laughs> if you let me rant like on I'm for a little a bit. Press conference. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, uh, reporters say they have one question, then they ask three. Yeah, I, I, I just have one question, and then what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's uh, okay. Good. I'll I'll do my best to answer your question. Uh, I, I actually so it, you know the process of create, creating a digital twin. How does it work? Does it add time to the di- design stage? And does a company need a specialized engineer? I think that's that was your question in its whole entirety. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a lot of in a lot of cases, it actually starts with a company or the engineer actually starts with identifying the type of problem they want to solve, and it involves using software to build a model of either a particular area of a machine or a mechanism or the whole machine itself. And then, oftentimes, you need specialized software to do this software that is new to an organization. Um, whereas a lot of organizations are used to 3D CAD models, let's say from a tool like SolidWorks. And then from SolidWorks, that's a separate tool that they use other tools downstream in their production, in their uh, development process. For simulation and for creating a digital model, you need oftentimes a 1D modeling tool. And 1D means equations are used to represent components and represent the physical asset that you're trying to create the digital twin of. And that, that process really starts with the 3D CAD that I mentioned and bringing the CAD model into the simulation tool like MapleSim. And the components from the CAD, all the weights, the dimensions, the material properties are automatically brought in, and that's taken into account when the simulation is performed. So this model-based simulation approach brings together different domains. So the electrical system can be connected, the mechanical system is there, the hydraulic system is all there, and all gets connected into one model. So basically, from an engineer's perspective, Perspective, they would import a CAD, they would connect joints, and they would connect things that move together, they would connect them together, and then they'd add the type of motion they want to see. And that type of motion really dictates the results that you'll see at the end of the simulation. So once it's all connected, um, you hit simulate, and you can visualize and see your, your machine, your mechanism moving, and you also get the plots of the torques and the forces of the, of the mechanism going through, and you can analyze those results. And if you see something you don't like, you can tweak the design and then run the simulation again. And within seconds, you know well, how that how that uh, machine will perform with the new changes you just added. Now, does it need a specialized engineer? The short answer is no. Um, and we have lots of customers where the controls engineer is the one who's taken over the simulation as well as doing the control code. We have some organizations where the mechanical engineer has taken it because they're so used to the CAD system. And, and, and there are some companies who do this quite often and make it part of their DNA where they have departments Departments, simulation departments that whole departments that that actually do this and and those we're seeing in a lot of automotive companies and aerospace companies where they see mm-hmm. the value of doing simulations ahead of time right now does it add time to the design stage uh, in some cases it does because there's an extra step now involved in the design stage but for the whole design stage is just part of the product development life cycle and the product commercialization uh, cycle so it adds a little bit time up front but saves time for the whole product commercialization so it really saves time in two ways one one way is the in the development stage you can have software testing control 
pulse testing happening in parallel to the design, in parallel to the electrical engineers working on the design, so you don't have to wait for that prototype. And then the other way it saves time is that the digital twin behaves in the same way the real-world system would behave, so that now you can iterate your design before, having, being, before standing next to the, the physical prototype that will be built in the future. So that's, I hope I, I didn't take too long to answer that question, but, uh, but yeah, that's my take on that. Not at all. And that explains part of why it's a growing trend that more and more companies are using virtual commissioning. It's an amazingly useful tool, and it also sounds interesting to use. Quite frankly, like I wish I were an engineer and I could do it. <laughs> we've, we've had a lot of companies have all kinds of fun. Like they would create their, their model and design and then they just push it to the limits and they see all kinds of funny things happening and some kind of, a lot of times they, they spark a new idea and say, wow, if I just remove these three components and do it this way, I could really, you know, either save some money or make this thing move faster. You know, it's, we've, had, we've uh-huh. had some fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine creativity is the only limit there. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, as I understand it, digital twins are typically used mainly in three phases uh, in the manufacturing space, design, operation, and maintenance. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. And also, like you said, commissioning as well as decommissioning. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, in in those phases, uh, in my experience, mostly um, you know the digital twins uh, are in the in the design uh, stage, and that's where most of the time is spent. And in the design stage, you can create your your model and do different things with it before you deploy it. In the operation stage, um, you're really have one option there is to have your digital twin run alongside the actual real machine that's functioning and provide sensor feedback to the model, so your model becomes more accurate more realistic. And then you mentioned the maintenance phase, and that maintenance phase, sometimes these models are used for training purposes or replacing components in the future, as well as doing some predictive maintenance um, analysis. So I guess that once you create the model and design space and you spend the time to create it, the model doesn't go away. It lives beyond just the design phase, and it goes into operation to add benefits, goes into maintenance to add benefits. And then, uh, you know, that whole installation and commissioning phase, that's where the majority of the benefit comes. Now you connect that model directly to the control code. Are you looking to increase your machine's throughput without paying for expensive hardware replacements or taking your machine offline for days? With the latest software from MapleSoft and Rockwell Automation, you can now test your control code against accurate dynamic models of your machine, complete with real-time 3D visualizations. MapleSoft's experts can create accurate models of your machines to find efficiencies in your control code, all done with almost no downtime. Visit MapleSoft.com to learn more. So what are some examples of projects or applications that are ideal for virtual commissioning? Maybe something that MapleSoft's been involved in or or applications you've seen? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. If I if I think about right the area of industrial automation, you know, a lot of a lot of what we've done in 2019, MapleSoft has done in 2019 was with injection molding companies and packaging companies. Um, so for injection molding, the uh, you know hydraulic the hydraulic system is a big part of the entire design of the machine, and if not the, you know the heart of the machine, where the hydraulic press presses uh, plastic and melts uh, heats up, and then and product is is pumped out at the end of the day. 
you know, this area is, an, is a strong example where we work with one company where they found some vibration and they were able to turn the speed of the machine up because their model was able to re- reproduce the vibration and then eliminate the vibration because the engineers were able to, to tweak the control code to actually increase the speed while, while reducing vibration. And they did it all in a safe environment. They did it all on a laptop pretty much. And then when it was time to update the, the machine, they, there was little to no downtime just because there was no hardware changes involved to improve performance. And in packaging, we have examples where customers have actually reduced costs because they were able to pull uh, hardware out of the machine itself to create a new machine design and thus saving costs. And we've also had customers who've done custom robotic movements where here's the case where you're not purchasing an off-the-shelf ABB robot or a FANUC or a, or a KUKA robot. You, you, you're designing your own robotic and with your own with, with motors and you, you understand torques and the, footers, torques and the uh, motion profiles of the motors and they really are able to do some really cool things with robotics integrated into the machine. And that's for industrial automation. For other areas, you know, we've seen we've seen a lot of use case for heavy machinery, cranes, where the cost of failure is high. We've had simulations done of skyscrapers, the world's tallest buildings, are using technology inside to keep it stable in high winds, and and you could reproduce what those situations would look like in a high wind situation. Will the building be safe? Will the design uh, that he incorporated function properly? And then we were working with uh, autonomous vehicle companies and doing the vehicle dynamics where the artificial intelligence is using the simulation model to train. And it's training different on different scenarios in, in, in the simulation where real world testing would take a very long time. You're now training against the simulation model where things can be sped up and, and multiple scenarios can be created. Well, those are amazing applications, and a lot of them that you mentioned, like aircraft, these are large companies. Is virtual commissioning used mostly by large companies, or can, because of the investment required, or can small or mid-sized manufacturers use it too? No, we've actually seen it across the board, um, from large companies, like you mentioned, to uh, you know very small uh, family-owned companies that have come to us to say, hey, we recognize the value of this. We want to get a competitive advantage here against some of the big players, and we're willing to invest the time to learn, to learn, to, to investigate and to explore different technologies. And, and we've seen small companies with you know a handful of employees actually adopt tools like MapleSim um, to create models of, of their machines. And, you know, they said we've, we've put the, the effort into to learn something new, and we're seeing some real results. And it's always exciting to hear that, right, when you when you hear companies who want to make a, either make a make name for themselves or, you know, get into the industry for the first time and, and, and use something new, use something different to, to propel them. And we've had good success with hearing what they have done with the software. Oh, sure. It's always exciting when you find a new way to do something better. And in this new world we're living in now, uh, traveling to work sites is more difficult than it used to be. So do you have to be at the same site as the physical machine to use virtual commissioning? Uh, actually, no. Um, and uh, you can be. And uh, that's one of the major drivers for virtual commissioning is that you don't have to be alongside the physical machine. That machine is represented in your laptop, on your computer, on your desk, and um, and your control code is developed on your computer. Connect those two uh, together, the model, your simulation model, uh, to the control code in Rockwell's environment. An FMU of the model is sent over to Studio 5000. That's an example. Um, and then the, you can actually 
visualize the machine running against the control code. So what happens if I change my control code or I change my product um, weight? Uh, what would happen to the machine? How would it behave? You could actually see the machine behave against the in real time uh, against the control code. And that's where the majority of the benefits come from. So now you can go to site. You can be alongside or on the uh, at the prototype stage as well next to the physical machine. And you will discover new things that you didn't think about. You will see things that, that you didn't put into the model. And you, if you had your digital model right there, you can update it and, and put those new discoveries inside the model and try something out on the model before you actually um, make changes to the real machine. So I would say you know, 80% of the benefit comes from not being next to the physical machine, and then you will achieve you know, another 20% of, uh, of value, perceived value, um, by being with the machine, so having the digital twin next to the machine. And once in a while, I get a question from readers because Rockwell Automation offers a product called Emulate 3D. I almost, I always slur and I don't even drink, but Emulate 3D, and that's a virtual commissioning solution. And you guys have MapleSim, so can you explain the difference? Because they do not compete, correct? That is correct. They do not compete, and I'm glad you asked that question, and oftentimes it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> yes, so uh, Emulate 3D and MapleSim are solving different problems, but in the same area of virtual commissioning. Um, Emulate 3D uh, is very good at simulating, emulating the production flow of a product from one stage of uh, the production line to the next stage of the production line, or to have the product integrated into the machine itself, and then you're seeing the, the product move from one stage to the next, but you're, you're seeing the, um, the uh, optical sensors see the product flow through, and what happens to the machine with the optical sensor sees it. It, it, does, it goes into stage, the next stage of the control code, so you can test your control code with, with the machine, and, and it uses what we call event-based event triggers, event-based simulation, and really emulate 3D is on production line, product flow and an event-based simulation. For MapleSim, MapleSim is, is focused on the machine's design and it's there to explore for a better result. So where all aspects, almost all aspects of physics are incorporated and it's uh, a dynamic simulation. So for example, what happens if the, if there's friction uh, in a certain area? What happens if the product weight is too high? Will my machine fail? Can I t actually turn the CPM, the cycles per minute? Can I, can I get faster cycles per minute? Will the machine be able to handle that? And MapleSim simulations will be able to tell you those kinds of answers. And to get those kind of answers, it's a different type of, almost a different type of workflow to get a, a MapleSim model um, created versus a Emulate 3D model. So it depends on what the company is looking for if they, if they do want that simulation or a virtual commissioning workflow for, for the Emulate 3D side or if they want it for the actual machine side with MapleSim. Okay, yeah, that's a better way to understand the difference. And a company who isn't currently using simulation, how would they even get started or know when to consider it as an option? And what would a project look like for them? Good question. So they would have to, you know, understand, you know, what they want to do, right? So that's that. What, you know, what part of virtual commissioning is important to me, or what part of why is this important to my organization? Is it because um, we want to save money? Is it because we want to be innovative? Is it because we don't want to be get left behind? You know, um, all all those things. And what is the best way for for my company to do that? 
exploring different technology? And if it is, what type of virtual commissioning am I actually looking for? What type of digital twin am I looking to create? And, and how am I going to use it in the future? So if they're unsure, I, I'd ask them to you know, kind of look at their strategy and how that relates to the, to the big picture, and then decide on what technology they want to pursue and explore different options. So with MapleSoft, we help companies get started. So we would, um, we would get on a call, we'd talk about the application, and we would actually create a, a small model or a model for them to see if it, it would actually help their situation. So we would assess the situation with them. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. This is very useful information. And listeners, be sure to check out the episode description because there are links to some videos and other useful information. And it was great talking with you, Chris, and I appreciate you joining me. And thanks for clarifying some important topics for virtual commissioning and digital twins. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I hope that we can get a chance to talk again soon. Um, I just wanted to also say, uh, you know, thanks for including, always thinking about MapleSoft in, in the journey with Rockwell Automation. And for those of those of your listeners who are interested in virtual commissioning, there is a website out there called virtualcommissioning.com. Uh, MapleSoft is affiliated with it, but it actually makes things easy to understand if, if any of your listeners would want to check that out. Okay, thanks for that tip, Chris. This has been Automation Chat, and I'm Teresa Hauk. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. You can also help others find us by sharing your favorite episodes with colleagues. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat again soon. 